0: ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music, and more.
1: Midnight. Madness
2: in Melbourne. Oh, he's running. Wow. Ridiculous. What a shot. Just when you think you have seen it all.
1: Hello and welcome to the ABC Sport Tennis Podcast. My name is Catherine Murphy and I'm very lucky to be joined by two Johns, John Millman and John Alexander. We're going to be a weekly podcast in the build up to the Australian Open and then we go daily. Today, we're here to preview the summer. John Millman, you're in sunny Perth. How are you?
2: Fantastic, Catherine. Thanks for having me. I've recovered from the Christmas hangover and managed to get on a plane (laughs) on Boxing Day. I'm in Perth now. It's beautiful weather. It's sunny. I had a hit on the the main arena court with Alex Diminar yesterday and things are going great here in Perth.
1: Well, it looks beautiful over there. And John Alexander, are you okay because we have two Johns that you will be referred to from here on in as J.A.?
0: I answered at J.A. and have done for quite a while and uh, in sydney don't worry if you don't like the weather it changes in the next five minutes we had storms we had hot weather it got up to 30 degrees yesterday and there was lightning we had to vacate the golf course twice because of lightning in the area that was good because I was uh, forced to give myself about a 10 foot putt to secure the path.
1: Love it. I hope it doesn't affect your golf game, though. Okay, let's get straight into it, guys. We have so much to discuss today. We are previewing the Australian summer of tennis. Cannot wait for it to start. John Millerman, I'm going to start with you. And the big story of the year Novak Djokovic can anyone stop him
2: well it's a tough task isn't it at the australian open in particular i think uh, aside from rafael nadal at roland garros on philip Chatrier there that center court there at roland garros i don't think there's been someone as dominant on a particular court and that's what novak is on rod labor arena he said it it's probably one of his favorite courts in the world he came out and said that he's confident and looks like age is just a number for Novak. Nothing seems to slow him down.
1: If Alcaraz is to beat him in Australia, we saw what he did at Wimbledon. If he could do that, how big would that be to dethrone him in Melbourne where he's been so dominant?
2: Well, like I said, like like Rafa at Roland Garros, I think that's the toughest task in tennis at the moment is beating Novak Djokovic at roll arena in Melbourne. Um, we saw how good he was last year. Last year, he had that little bit of a, an injury and he played ultra aggressive. It just shows you how many dimensions he can bring um, to the tennis court. He can be defensive, he can be aggressive, he can be offensive. And I think that's the, 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 the challenge for Carlos Alcaraz. But there are a couple of other challenges. You know, Yannick Sinner obviously finished the year incredibly well. I think he'll be hoping for for slightly deader conditions. So those night matches might suit someone like uh, Yannick Sinner, but Novak's definitely the person to beat. It
1: certainly looks that way. J.A., How do you see this current crop of tennis players? Back when you were retiring, which is a few years ago, you've since done a lot of commentary on tennis. You've absolutely always followed the game. If someone told you the number of Grand Slams that Novak Djokovic would be on, would you have believed that that was possible?
0: Absolutely not. Uh, We thought it was an extraordinary thing when Pete Sampras beat Roy Emerson's record, which I think was fourteen. Uh, all of Roy's were won in in the amateur era. Roy was never successful in the Open era, but you know he was in well into his thirties at that time. Uh, we know that some of the players were deprived of a great de- deal of opportunities in Grand Slams because it was before Open tennis. Pancho Gonzalez turned professional in uh, 1949, and Open tennis came in in 1968. So he lost a few years. Rosewall lost a few years, but yeah, you know, Rosewall accumulated I think seven or eight Grand Slams, and we thought that was a pretty good number laver um on 11 i think and uh yeah that was seen as a pretty you know good total but you know 20 was out of this world and, and 23 by djokovic and having his best year last year he came within one set of getting the grand slam um and you know it was his best year at 36 years of age uh you know the one thing you know often we say is going to beat him is time But it is a changing time. There is a changing of the guard. Yannick Sinner finished last year, unbel—well, this year, unbelievably strongly. Alcaraz beat him at Wimbledon, uh, Medvedev has beaten him at the US Open. Uh, And so he has three real challenges and those real challenges, they're getting better. And you can't expect Novak at this age to get better, but he seems to be maintaining awfully well.
1: He certainly is. Now you've both mentioned Yannick Sinner, so let's talk about him. John Millman, if you had to pick the next new Grand Slam winner, the next new major winner for you, is it Yannick Sinner? And if so, how soon will that come?
2: Well, I would love it to be Alex Diminer, my uh, good mate and fellow countryman. But it looks like Yannick Sinner is that next next man up. I, I think it would come from a player like Yannick, who's obviously... A lot more confident these days. He's had wins against both Carlos Alcaraz. He's had wins against Novak Djokovic now, and I think that that that's really important to kind of break that glass ceiling to 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 get that belief. That's half the battle. I think with Yannick, the conditions are going to have to be in his favor, and I think he's best in those conditions. We saw him play so well on those European indoor hard courts where the ball's not jumping up; it's a little deader, so it's really hard to get it out of his strike zone. Because so I think. Yannick Sinner is probably one of the best ball strikers in in men's tennis right now. I really do. I think um, there's no one that's better at that. But in Melbourne, that's the challenge with Melbourne is the conditions can change from day to day. Sometimes it can be really hot and lively and the ball's jumping up and other times it can be cold and a bit dead. And I think those are the conditions that are going to suit Yannick Sinner. Those cold, dead conditions where it's hard to get it out of his strike zone. The other name that I think as a contender is Ben Shelton. We saw how well uh, he played at the Australian Open last year where he made a semi-final. He's got a really big game and he's improving fast. Um, I think the next winner could come from one of those two.
1: You talk about Ben Shelton and his famous celebration. It was one of the highlights this year for me when he hung up the phone. But you know what I loved even more? The way Novak Djokovic mimicked it those young boys are in his head he's admitted he's incredibly motivated by them John do you sense that that they will just provide more and more motivation for him to keep doing what he's doing especially now that Roger Federer is gone and Rafael Nadal is unfortunately looking like it's coming to the
2: end I think that it really inspires him and it it fires him up and he wants that next challenge for for so long he really relished being able to compete against Two of some of the greatest players in history in, in Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal and he's looking for that next challenge and he's answering the call so to speak with that celebration. Um, he wants that next challenge. He, he, he said that he wants to be like Tom Brady. He said he wants to play until he's four, over 40 and I think that what interests him and what excites him is figuring out new players and, and figuring out ways to win. Um, so no doubt he relishes the opportunity to to play against some of these, these young ones who are starting to make a name for themselves.
1: They are indeed just so tough to break through when he is going from strength to strength. J.A., let's talk Rafael Nadal. Do we need to temper our expectations of Rafa as he makes his comeback this year?
0: Well, I think the thing with rafael don't underestimate him. Uh, he is one of the great players of all time and the greatest clay quarter of all time. He wouldn't be coming here unless he really thought he was fit and ready to give the Australian Open a chance. So we're going to see where his preparation is at when he's playing. There's been a bit of discussion how you know Naomi Osaka is making her comeback after after a child. And Rafael's also had a child, so they've got something in common there. They might be seeing it with each other at the at the creche during the tournament. But I think he is, you know, he has built his game on physical strength. So we've got to see where is he at. Uh, but I think his real aim, while it might be very, very nice for him to do well at the Australian, his real aim would be setting himself to win the French again. And the, the other thing that I think that motivates uh, Novak, I think we've touched on it from time to time, is that all through his uh, years of contesting with Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal, who were great sportsmen and you know, loved universally, uh, Novak wasn't the favourite guy. And he he was used to not being the crowd's favourite. And that's you know, continuing with this new set of challenges where he's not the crowd's favourite. You know, whatever he does, he's never going to win them over, it appears. Winning doesn't win them over. But... Uh, I think that motivates him. That really stimulates him when the crowd's against him. That makes him want to fight harder, and and fight hard. He does very very well.
1: J A. Not everyone can have a fan group like Millmania. And yes, John, we will come on to that very shortly. Can we talk about the crash at the Australian Open, as J A. mentioned? So Naomi Osaka coming back after having a baby, and she Angie, Angie Kerber's on the way back. Coco Goff, she's a superstar. She's just won the U S. Open, John. Who's going to challenge Iga Sviantek, who since the retirement of Ash Barty, which I still haven't got over, I might add, has been so dominant?
2: Yeah, well, I saw uh, Iga here in in Perth. She just arrived yesterday and she's looking awfully fit. And and that was just going out to dinner. So, look, she is the person, she is the girl to beat, the lady to beat there. But I think the women's is a little more open. I think we've seen that. We've seen Sabalenka... Riverkina, Coco Goff, We've seen so many contenders. Jess Pagula maybe you know she's been so consistent. She just hasn't made that breakthrough at Grand Slam level just yet. But we've seen so many contenders in the women's game, and I think that's what makes it really excited. It's it's a real lottery. It's 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 a raffle ticket, and anyone can punch their number. Who's my favourite to challenge uh, Sviatek? Well, I, I will go to Coco Goff. Uh She had some incredible form on the hard courts during that U.S. Open swing. The one thing she won't have is that rowdy crowd support that she did have in the U.S. Open. So she'll have to find other avenues to get that energy from the crowd, um, which she, she she used to her advantage during that U.S. swing. But obviously she's proven that uh, she can really play on those hard courts. And, 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 the, and the hard courts are quite similar. The U.S. Open ones are a little bit quicker than what we find at, at Melbourne Park. In terms of like-for-like at Grand Slams, those are the two I think we can get our form from.
1: Cannot wait to watch her play. Well, now it's time to look at the Australian players that we will all be cheering for as we look ahead to summer. And we have to start with you, John. You're the headline act this summer. It's your last Australian Open, John. How do you manage those emotions?
2: Yeah, look, I I wasn't actually totally sure I, I would play you know, any more tennis, but I really wanted to try to get my body fit just to give some of my my fans, my family, the chance to, to watch me one last time. So I'm probably being a little bit selfish there, Catherine, but it's it's a surreal feeling. Every uh, hit that I had, I hit with James Duckworth, who I did plenty of pre-seasons with. We both based up in Brisbane, uh, and we probably had our last ever hit the other day. Um, and that was a, a real moment for me moment of reflection where you go, wow, I've I've shared this journey with some really good friends and it's all coming to an end. So it is a little bit different. You know, I I wouldn't have thought it would have hit me this hard, but it has. But I'm really relishing it. I'm really enjoying being here. Had a really good hit with Alex, one of my best mates on tour uh, yesterday. I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to really try to enjoy it. And I I know that uh, J.A. mentioned in the intro that You know, he he had a 10-foot putt. Well, he can teach me how to make some 10-foot putts because for the first time, I bought my sticks with me. So if I do get a a spare moment over here in Perth or in Melbourne, I think I'll I'll try to enjoy it and I'll duck out to the golf course. So it's not just all tennis for me.
1: J.A., do you have any tips to give John on retirement apart from golfing tips?
0: It's funny. These days, it's almost like you've got to sign a contract to say, I'm going to retire and never play again. You know, I think you should be able to change your mind and maybe... Play the odd event still, and, and if your form picks up, yeah, have another go. Um, I'm still hopeful Ash Barty is going to make a comeback. I mean, you know, me she's, too. She's having a sabbatical, but uh, two of our greatest women players, Margaret Court and Yvonne Gulligan, came back and played beautifully after having having babies. And uh, and I think that uh, you know it's a different time now. But I think uh, she made that announcement for the sake of giving herself peace and quiet and relief from the press and the constant scrutiny, and it's worked very well. Don't be surprised to see her come back. Um, I think uh, the the story of uh, Naomi Osaka is is the interesting one to see how she is going to play coming back. Um, And the other thing about Coco Goff, you know, thinking, well, she had great crowd support in New York uh, where she won. So she's won a Grand Slam and coming in for the next one. Uh, must come in with a world of confidence. Uh, Coco also does very well in doubles. In fact, I think she's something like three in singles and number one in doubles. So that's a great thing when when the leading players play doubles as well. So uh, she's just a fantastically attractive uh, player, and I think she'll find a lot of fans at Melbourne Park and uh, and a lot of a lot of goodwill. And uh, yeah, it's it's interesting with uh, Iga Swiatek who has been really the the number one player or thereabouts since Ash Barty uh, retired. And she, she plays a a great game, not dissimilar to Ash Barty in many ways in that she is a real tennis player. She's an all court player, but doesn't seem to have ever really gained the, the accolades that other uh, number one women in the world have have won. And that's what she's probably seeking to do in this, in this coming season. So it's, it's an open field, very open field. uh, Unlike how, Women's tennis was during the time of the dominance of 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 Graf and Brattle over and and the Williams sisters. It's it's really wide open. You know, you wouldn't be surprised if somebody outside of the top ten uh, won the Australian Open. But uh, yeah, there's obviously some pretty hot form, players with hot form coming into it.
1: You're certainly right. We've seen that so often surprise winners on the winners tour on the women's tour rather over the past few years. John Milman, just one quick one on your retirement before we move on and look at the other Aussies who are playing this summer. When Roger Federer retired, I'll never get the image out of my mind of him sitting there holding hands with Rafa and crying. Who would your Rafa be if you had to sit on the court and have that support and hold hands and just get it all out, have a good cry? Who would you pick?
2: I'm not the most emotional person, Catherine. No, I'm I'm (laughs) not the most emotional person, but maybe not on court. But, you know, someone who had been through the trenches with me is mum and dad. They sacrifice so much. I'm one of five kids, uh, four sisters. They sacrificed so much to give us every opportunity. They weren't pushy parents whatsoever. They provided for their family as best as they could. So if I was to to get a bit emotional, it would be with with the folks actually. Just how much they how many opportunities they provided is really special. So it would be with them. If I were to get emotional, Catherine, but I can't see myself getting emotional.
1: Well, it's okay if you do. I think we're going to be emotional on this podcast during the Australian Open, just watching you and barracking for you, John. What about the other Aussies? You mentioned your good mate, Alex Demonora. Now give us the gossip. He's just had an awkward family Christmas with his British girlfriend, Katie Bolter. Of course, the United Cup will see Australia and Great Britain face off. They've had a lovely Christmas, but I mean, how is that going over in Perth now?
2: Yeah, well, Alex, I can confirm. Alex went and had dinner with Katie, so I was I was eating alone last night. Oh, uh, they're still talking. Um, you know, they have they've put their rivalry aside for now. Yeah, they did. They had a great Christmas. Alex Alex told me they had Christmas over. They've got a little cottage in in uh, in Wimbledon. So they had it there with Katie's family. But Alex did all his preseason in Monaco, where he bases himself out of now. He was in some pretty good form. He is in some pretty good form. He played a couple of exhibition tournaments just across the border in France, which he won. So he's already picked up a bit of silverware, and he's super determined. You can see that um, when you talk to him. You can see that when you're hitting with him. He really wants to get that breakthrough into into that top 10. You know, he's at 12, 13 at the moment. He, he's He's getting closer and closer. So he really wants to get through that breakthrough and make a deep run, especially at his home slam. So he's really determined. He's still getting used to the conditions here. He was in Sydney for a couple of days before getting here in Perth. But no doubt, uh, by the time the Australian Open rolls around, he's so good at adapting to, to circumstances, Alex is. He's super fit. He uses his athleticism so well. He's so good at shrinking the court. And what I mean by that is he's so quick around the court that When you play against him and when I'm hitting with him even yesterday, it feels like you have to go closer to the lines because of how good he is at covering it. I think he's probably one of the best movers on tour. So he's looking great and I wish him all the best. And I hope Aussies can really get around Alex because he embodies everything it is to be Australian. He gets out there, he competes hard, he fights. As hard as possible, he gets every little bit out of his game, and it's something I, I truly respect.
1: Absolutely love watching him, especially when he's playing at home. J A, how quick can he crack into that top
0: ten? Well, it'd only take a couple of weeks—in the last few weeks of January. But I agree with what John says. You know, if you if you analyse why uh, Novak has been so successful at the Australian Open, it used to be said that the French was the toughest event to win. Physically, you had to be the fittest player, had the biggest rewards. But in recent times, it certainly has been the Australian because of the hard courts over five sets and the you know the the really tough uh, heat conditions that we can have. And the one thing that Alex has going for him, like you know, the, the the history of Australian tennis players were often the fittest players in the world, and he is as fit as anyone. So he's got that that base that is absolutely essential if you're going to win the Australian Open, you've got to be fit. And he is he's fit and he's tough and he's quick. He plays big matches well, and it doesn't seem that he is adversely uh, impacted by the expectation. So I think, you know, this is the year that he'll make more steady progress, which has been his way. He, he's made steady progress throughout his career. And, uh, you know, don't be surprised. If, don't be surprised if he goes all the way. Don't be surprised if he, if he is a quarter-finalist, semi-finalist either.
1: I would love to see that. He is such a good guy as well. Well, in the build-up to the Australian Open last year, there was two high-profile withdrawals, of course, Nick Kyrgios and Isla Tomjanovic. John, let's start with Tomjanovic. She's won a title since coming back. Can't wait to see her back in Australia playing with that home crowd support. How far can she go?
2: No, look, Isla, I think it's so important um, that she actually won, made a breakthrough and won that title post-injury. Speaking from experience, coming back from injury, that's sometimes the hardest thing to to almost convince your mind, first of all, that it's healthy enough to go deep into a tournament. But secondly, to, to go, okay, my level is there. You know, this is what it feels like to win again. My level's there. And that confidence can just skyrocket from that moment forward. Isla's been um, here for a few days in Perth, so I'm really expecting a good showing. She's going to have two really tough matches in the group stages. She's up against Katie Bolter, who obviously had a breakthrough at Wimbledon last year. Just before Wimbledon, she won a, a WTA title in uh, Eastbourne. So that, that will be really challenging. Katie's a really good hardcore player also. And then she'll have a really tough test in Jessica Pegula who, um, you know, has been so consistent inside that top five for the last couple of years and always seems to make deep runs at these tournaments. So it'll be a really good test for her to get two really tough matches here. That win at the end of the year will give her the world of confidence. Um, We saw that she can compete at the big stage at the Grand Slams when she made that run at the US Open, um, taking on Serena Williams in the process. I'm really excited for her. I'm excited to see her fit and healthy. And I'll keep an eye over her and we might be able to come back to this over the next few days and and we'll really get an indication of where her form's at.
0: J.A., what do you reckon? Isla is another one of these rare people who has played her best on the biggest stage and her win over Serena Williams at the US Open wasn't only a magnificent tennis match, but the way she conducted herself after the match and how she spoke so elegantly, uh, she won fans and uh, she can rightfully expect have enormous support at the Australian Open. She is just a fantastic tennis player and a fantastic person. And uh, you're not allowed to have favourites, but if I had a favourite, it would be her. She's just wonderful. But not just that, J.A., what she had to do
2: against Serena at that US Open and the crowd um, support against her that she had to face, that that crowd was wild. Every single moment, every single bit of momentum that Serena had, the crowd let Isla know about it. So... I thought that was an incredible display from her. It really showed her mental resilience. And to go deep in these slams, you need to have that mental resilience. So um, I think that that really kind of stamped, um, it, was, it was a stamping moment for her on the tour.
1: Could not agree more. She is a class act. Now, John Melman, just quickly, I, I really, something I've been worried about in the build-up to this podcast, to covering the tennis this year, is Nick Kyrgios. He's making announcements via OnlyFans. I mean, do I and does J.A. need to get, do we need to get on OnlyFans? Is this the future of tennis reporting? John, help me here.
2: Yeah, well, look, I haven't paid for the subscription just yet. The good thing about Nick is he he tells you about it on all the platforms. So I'm seeing all his, uh, his tidbits on Twitter. You see it on Instagram and now obviously on OnlyFans. But I don't think that'll stop him from, from going on those other more conventional revenues, Catherine?
1: Okay, this is a relief. J.A., you don't need OnlyFans. Neither do I. Not just yet. John Millman will let us know. We're down to our final few minutes and our final segment around the traps. During the Australian Open, John Millman is going to bring us all the -the behind-the-scenes gossip. Now, a story I've been really interested in, John, is... From Matt Futterman of the Athletic, he broke the story of talks to create a premier tour. So the Grand Slams teaming up with other major events to make this exclusive tour, and it's happening in a bid to kind of ward off advances from Saudi Arabia. They're looking at potential events early in the year that could affect the Australian summer. What are you hearing about this?
2: Well, even before um, you know this announcement, when Andrea Gaudenzio came. Um, as chairman of the ATP, we're talking six years ago, um, one of his biggest visions and, and one of his his biggest claims that he was going to try to make is one premium product where the last stage was to get the Grand Slams involved, where they can wrap up the Grand Slams, the Masters, into this big premium product and then go and on-sell it to you know, a big streaming service, say, an Amazon or a... Or or a Netflix, um, so to speak. So he thought that that's where the value lay. So this preceded, you know, the Live Golf Tour and, and Saudi Arabia's involvement in 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 trying to almost take over some sports. Um, that was the overall goal back then: was to to get the Grand Slams involved, to get their premium ATP, WTA tournaments together. and and wrap it all up into one big product and then get it out to the masses. In theory, it works great. At times, though, from from my experience on the player council, the the Grand Slams were actually quite hesitant because, you know, they wanted autonomy. They wanted to to control um, their own nest, so to speak. But perhaps there's some substance in this story from The Athletic in that the Grand Slams are now starting to to recognize that maybe a united front's a better one. You know, uh, maybe that's what's needed to ward off, you know, an alternative tour. What do I think's best for players? I'm unsure. I think the more competitions, the better, if I'm to be completely honest. I, I have no problem with multiple tours um, coming in that will provide more players uh, an opportunity to play tennis. But this has been in the making, Catherine, for, for a while. Um, this idea of trying to wrap up a premium product, but... They need the Grand Slam's involvement for it to really take off.
1: JA, you've been involved in tennis for a long time. And as John just said, this isn't the first time that this has been discussed. Do you think it can happen?
0: Well, yes, of course it can. The main ingredient is money, I guess. You, know, you can go back to the early stages of open tennis. Tennis went open in 1968 and 1971. Le- Lamar Hunt, an oil, Texas oil millionaire brought up the 32 best players in the world to have his world championship of tennis you can go back much 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 further um, to just after the the first world war when i was only a boy at the time professional tennis started and the leading player of the time bill tilden didn't want to support it he thought you, know, you should be a sportsman then he realized that people without the means that his family had were denied the opportunity of playing international tennis so he then became an enormous supporter of professional tennis and that was then taken over in the in the 50s by Jack Kramer and all of our great players then turned professional. And you see what's happened in live golf and as what happened with World Championship Tennis. The peace pipe was then smoked with the ITF and the Masters and and the Grand Slams and, and all got together. It's changing times. I think we are understanding the lament of losing the Davis Cup because one of the great things about tennis, it is the most widely played sport in the world. Wherever there's people, there's tennis is played. And Davis Cup was the vehicle that took great tennis to every corner of the earth. And I think that's a very important thing. That's one of the great things about Live Golf. We're getting some golf tournaments in Australia and seeing our great stars um, that didn't happen from the USPGA, for instance. So uh, investment in tennis uh, should not be seen as a challenge, but as an opportunity to expand the game. And as John said, give more working opportunities to more professionals because it is a little bit top heavy but there isn't enough flow down the the trickle down is hardly there if you're outside of the top 100 and, and men's or women's you're not doing that great very expensive to play on the tour if there's more investment in tennis and we protect and create more job opportunities and more tournament opportunities for professional players to play the game and uh, entertain and make a living out of it, then we can all win.
1: J.A., I think it's a story we're going to be talking about a lot more this summer. I just get that feeling. John Millman, I hear you've got a really exciting day ahead. You're over in Perth. Is it true you're getting on a helicopter soon? Where are you off? to? you literally jetting off to end this podcast today
2: i don't want to get on the helicopter Catherine. (laughs) Uh, why no look yeah part of the stars activities they call it at at these is to one of the big sponsors of of the united cup over here in perth is western australian tourism so they're flying us to rotnest island i'll get the the token picture with the quokka but I got a little bit worried, Catherine, because they were trying to get my weight and it is in check right now. My weight's um, <laughs> nice. But I don't know if that's the best sign. I would much rather be catching a boat to Rocknest Island. So wish me luck. I'm hoping that I come back in one piece and that I can do another podcast.
1: Best of luck. We really hope for that too, John. Are you going to be any good at getting the quokka selfie? Because you are aware that every quokka selfie is judged. Of Roger Federer's, right?
2: Well, look, I, I don't think I'll I'll compete with Roger. You know, he's a tough man to compete with, Roger. Speaking from experience, actually. Well, you've beaten my him. Look, Hang I'm on. Put on my...
1: You've beaten him before. A selfie would be easy, right?
2: It wasn't easy, though, uh, <laughs> when I beat him. Uh, and his fans still remind me that I probably shouldn't have. So, look, um, I'll try my best. I think I'll definitely be the second cutest in the picture because the quacker will no doubt outshine me.
1: John Millman, John Alexander, it's been an absolute pleasure previewing the summer of tennis with you today. I can't wait to chat to you both in a week's time.
0: Looking forward to
2: that. Thanks for having us, Catherine.
1: Thank you to both Johns and thank you for listening to the ABC Tennis podcast. We will record another episode in a week's time and during the Australian Open, we will have a daily podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, follow us and share with your friends. Thanks for listening. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.